What's up, y'all? It's your girl, your poet, your sister, your playwright, Carmen, here right now, rocking with y'all. This episode was originally slated for January while Sadia was in Jamaica, so I had a whole New Year's resolution, affirmation, introduction planned out. Needless to say, things happen as they should. It's April now. We check in back in perfect timing. Love you, sister Sadia. Thanks so much for having me back on. Everyone, please check out our last combo on episode five, a tribute to our sister, word to Toni Morrison. In this space and time, Black women often find ourselves silenced. We're devoid of the spaces necessary to build collective definitions of what it means to be Black and woman, to explore ourselves to the fullest extent, to carve out spaces where we can listen and inscribe, where we can share our struggles and our successes in their many forms, and where we can speak truth to power. This is that space. Let's build the details. I'm here with I, who is no stranger to Sadia Malcolm or Howard University. She graduated as a first-generation college student. Shout out to that from Howard University with her Bachelor of Arts in both Economics and poli sci. She now works as an associate for Hamilton Place Strategies. Originally from Austell, Georgia, by way of Guinea, West Africa, I'm so happy to sit down with my sister, Adiala. Hey, sis. Hi. I'm so happy you could join us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm happy it's Friday, so happy Friday. Thank TGIF, God. I know you are a working woman now. How is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it gets to a point where it's overwhelming because I'm really like, wow, I work Monday through Friday, <laughs> <laughs> nine to five at minimum. Like... <laughs> It's kind of like, whoa. But I'm also very grateful for my job because also I'm at a place where, like, I'm able to make mistakes and learn from them. But I'm also mm-hmm. able to learn across so many sectors from trade to insurance to healthcare to education. To, like, it's so much going on in the world right now that you really, through my job, I've learned how truly, like, how much we don't know and how much you really mm-hmm. don't pay attention to and how much you're not exposed to coming from, like, a college degree where it's very concentrated to now where I'm working with a range of clients from Fortune 500 companies to nonprofits. Okay, we see you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm actually happy that you brought that up because I mentioned that you are a Howard University graduate like myself, like Sadia, and now you're entering this workforce. What has that been like? What has that transition been like? Sure. Uh, let me introduce myself. So, hi, everyone. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> hi, everyone. My name is I Diallo. I uh, am a 2019 graduate of Howard University. I okay. Double major, political science and economics. And thank God I met Sadia early on in my Howard career, actually, because we both were Gates Millennium Scholars. So, mm-hmm. shout out to Gates. And shout out to our huge family and our huge network. And I met Carmen 
because we joined the organization but we really became sisters Mm -hmm. our our junior year so most definitely um, you know I'm I'm happy you said that um I was able to share a few details about you but I really wanted you to come on here and really tell us who you are because I noticed that you didn't tell us nothing about your heritage, where your people from, where your family from, where you from, what you do at home, okay? I need you to let the world know that. Okay, so everyone, I'm West African. Both my mom and my dad are both born in Guinea and raised in Guinea, and then they came over here in their 20s trying to, in search of a better life, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm West African. My actual first language was Fulani, a West mm. African dialect, and then English is actually my second language. So that's who I am. I'm African. I'm West African, to be specific. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, um, originally born in New York. So most of us Guinean people that you meet, especially that was born in the 90s, we all <laughs> came from New York. <laughs> <laughs> you know that is the melting pot. I'm from New, New York, York as well. Okay. <laughs> New York is a melting pot, so most of us are going to be like, yeah, I was born in New York, but then, like, my mom wasn't <laughs> having that. She was like, it's too small, <laughs> too busy. <laughs> so we moved to Atlanta. So I grew up in Atlanta, and I've been out. I've, I now Nowadays, I visit every now and then. I was just there for the holidays because my mom still lives mm-hmm. here. But now I'm, I'm based in D.C. because that's where my job is. Well, I wanted to start off with, I'm happy that you introduced yourself and told us that. Um, I wanted to start off with asking you about your job, because I think that the part that's also so important, which you didn't mention, is that you are also a first-generation college graduate, Mm. Um, and now you've graduated from Howard University, the HBCU, the real HU. Okay, say it again. You you have entered straight into the workforce. And Mm -hmm. I want to know how that has maybe impacted your journey. Um, Coming from this family, um, this Guinean family, uh, and being one of the first in your family to attend college, what has that academic um, journey been like? And how has that transcended into your professional and even your personal life? Because here today, we're going to be talking a lot about affirmations and self-identity. Ooh, that is a loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> I know, I know. So I'm going to start from the beginning. So for me, just even be, so I'm going to start with my journey with college applications. So a lot of that, I love my brothers. So I have two older brothers, but they really didn't fully go head on into the college process, really matriculate through college and finish college like I did. So mm. a lot of that was me learning on my own, but also a special shout out to my guidance counselor from high school, but also my coach from high school, which we'll talk about mm. him later, on in, uh, later on through this process. But one thing I will say is they really helped me to even – and with my mom. My mom was the main one pushing for me to finish my application. Mind you, when I did the Gates application, y'all know it was eight essays. <laughs> I literally wrote them essays and finished them the day before the application was due and literally had one draft of edits. And that was mm. it. And that was just by the grace of God. That's a I, testament. Yeah, that is. And that was the grace of God. I got that scholarship, even coming to Howard. So Howard wasn't my dream school. 
But because I didn't get into my dream school, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go to Howard because I went and visited with one of my other close friends, Lauren, and we both came for acceptance student day. And I loved Howard. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to come to Howard. I came to Howard and it literally changed my life. But I'm not going to lie. Like that first semester was the hardest semester for me because it was like, one, I was away from home. But two, a lot of the things that I was going through, I couldn't talk to my mom about it. Mind you, that was my best friend. And then I couldn't really talk to my brothers about it because they didn't really understand what it meant to go away for college, to be in another state, to be the first generation. Even when it came to doing my FAFSA, I mm-hmm. literally had to Tell it. honestly figure that shit out on my own. And even to this day, I'm still confused about stuff. And it's <laughs> four years and I'm still confused. And I'd be like... You know, I'm just going to figure it out. And if it's wrong, then it'll come back. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> you know, I'm still doing mine because I'm in graduate school. And I still, I, you would think I got the hang of it by now. But it's real. Yeah. It's and, so, and so just being that first generation, I'm not going to lie. Also, being a first generation, but also being a female, it is hard. Mm. The weight of the world is constantly on my shoulders. Like, even when I graduated, that was one of the happiest times of my life. Mm. But it was also a moment of like, I couldn't even fully enjoy that moment because it was like, okay, what's next? You in that moment of like, wow, I just graduated college. And then I graduated college with two degrees. I'm like, I graduated college with two degrees. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, what's next? But I'm also thankful for my journey and thankful for being able to graduate with two degrees, study abroad for a year, because now I have like my little cousins that call me like, yo, I'm majoring in two degrees, or yo, I'm about to go study abroad. And I'm like, I I set that up in a way that, like, it wasn't just for me, but it was for people underneath me. Because I knew that a lot of people, whether they say it or not, like, they're looking at my journey. They're judging my journey. They're trying to figure out what else they can take from that journey. And it's like, for me, I'm always trying to figure out how can I be a positive positive example because God really blessed me from the time I was a young girl to the time I got older because my mom was a single parent to mm-hmm. like having people in my life and plugging them in my life at the very moment that I needed that and so just now like also being a full-time worker and being a woman and being 23 years old mm-hmm. also that West African Muslim culture that I that I that's who I am and that's what I live in now the constant push is for marriage. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to get into my next step of life. But then I'm like, wait, am I supposed to be married right now? Because I, <laughs> I come from a culture where girls get married off yeah. at 18. I'm 23. And now I'm in this like weird struggle of like, am I supposed to be finding my man this year or getting married? Ooh, <laughs> or like, do I keep pushing on for my next degree? And thank mm-hmm. God I do have the mom I have, but as progressive as she is, she also grew up in that society of back in the day, you get married at 18. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant everyday battle of, I'm proud of you. I'm happy about where you are. I'm happy that you're getting ready for your next step in life. But it's also like, when you get married. <laughs> yeah, it's real. Actually, um, I have the privilege of knowing your family, knowing your mom. Um, and I think in the context of our lives, we do happen to be very lucky. Um, you know, my mom's side is Hindu. And so 
the whole idea of arranged marriages or you being a woman and these are the roles that you're supposed to have and is expected of you Mm -hmm. was brought on um especially within the family context at such a young age the idea of education and women being um liberated wasn't even a thing um to really understand and grasp growing up and I think that one of the reasons um, you and I got so close um, was because we had these shared experiences, both being first generation um, college students and graduates, shout out to that, um, but also understanding um, how much of our lives are impacted by the cultures that we come out of. Mm-hmm. We understood um, that the world was larger than the state that we were living in. I really commend you because you say, you know, English is your second language. You know, you can't even tell listening to you that <laughs> English is your second language. And that is so um, you know, I think that's inspirational in itself, but the ways that we also work towards making sure that everything we do, I think we kind of put that that gravitas on us a lot of the times because we want to make sure that wherever we plant our feet in, um, those in our family, our sisters, our brothers, you know, nieces, nephews, cousins can always ask us for help, but that mm-hmm. they can always feel like you know, there's something there waiting for them as well. I agree, because coming from the culture I come from, being Guinean, being West African, like, that whole actually even going out of state for college was unheard of. And, Mm -hmm. and like, when I went out of state, it was, and I went out of state, and I was able to graduate and have my degrees, I was also able to set that standard for, like, other people. Like, probably people that I don't even know, but specifically, Mm -hmm. for an example, my little cousin, now she goes to school. It's not out of state, but it's like four hours away from where she, where her parents live. And like, I remember my uncle talking to me about it, and I was like, look, I did it. I was 10 hours away from home. I went out of state. I got double, I got two degrees. Right, go out of two state degrees. And, you have something okay? to show. I was yeah. like, she can go out of state and get her degree too. Like, you don't have to worry about that because at the end of the day, we still live in this, like, no matter how progressive our parents are, how progressive the rules are here in America, <laughs> we still live in this society where, like, what I learned in Costa Rica, it's a very machismo society. Mm-hmm. It's a man rule, man world at the end of the day. Right. And that's not just Costa Rica. That's not just Costa Rica. That's the term I learned in Costa Rica. <laughs> okay, but that's okay. just how life is, though, because I think sometimes we often... And me traveling the world made me realize that we're so privileged to be in America. We're so privileged to be able to have what we have here because as a woman anywhere else in the world, it's it's not like this. Mm. You know, I think it's, it's such a double-edged sword understanding what freedom is, what freedom looks like. Um, you know, when you're when you've grown up here your whole life, which both of us have, yeah. Um, but have family elsewhere. I was born in Guyana, um, and you get to see what the world looks like, um, what this country looks like from the outside in and both the inside out. You know, it is that double-edged sword because, one, you understand the liberties that we have here, but then you also get here and you're like, well, what the hell is going on over here? You know, <laughs> so, um, and, and I'm happy that you brought that up because 
Today is really about, um, you know, identity politics and dealing with the politics of the governing self. But I think that what I was trying to get to by the end of this was that it's who we are, it's our values and the systems in place um, that allow us to figure out who we are in context of who uh, we look up to, who we aspire to, who we're around, um, that also contribute to us understanding global politics, us mm-hmm. understanding um, the national politics, us understanding um, how our identity as Black women, as immigrant women, um, how that surfaces in the work that we do in our communities, in our jobs, in our home life within society today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I asked you earlier, I think this is a good segue into that, but I, I was talking to you um, the other day when I was asking you about considering some Black women who have shaped or mold, um, well, considering anyone, period, um, I often just think Black women, but um, <laughs> considering anyone, period, who has molded you um, or helped you shape this image of yourself, how you were able to better understand understand yourself in the context of this world um in the context of the world you know Ooh. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. um before we even talk about notable people i think one of the one of the women in my life that still shapes my life to this day and it shapes my life even more now that i've gotten older and now that we can actually have different type of conversations is my mother because she was actually a college-educated woman out of Guinea. And she mm. had got her degree in architecture. She graduated college. But she oh, ended wow. up coming. Yeah, she, she ended up coming to America because my dad had to come to America. So she was like, she don't want to be in Guinea. And like, it's our own. She'd rather mm-hmm. her family live and be together. So like, but then later on, as things changed and we moved to Georgia and my dad didn't, it was just watching her. Now that I'm older, I appreciate it more. But understanding her as like a businesswoman, as a person that was like head of her family, both mm-hmm. not even just like her her family in the house with her kids, but mm-hmm. like her siblings as well, because mm-hmm. it's eight of them, including her. So like watching her become that person, it's like, how can I settle for anything else? So it's like, that's, Ooh, child. Always been, that's always been my inspiration. And yeah, it's really hard sometimes, but it's also at the end of the day, like I remember reading something about understanding how our parents are called, how our, who our parents are when they've come to a foreign land without knowing the language, without knowing the mm-hmm. culture, without knowing the people, but them adapting just so that we can have a better life. So it's like, for me, how can I say anybody else is notable besides this woman? Because because without her, I would not be who I am today. Most definitely. Without her, okay, without her being as liberal as she is, I would have never been able to go out of school, out of state, been at Howard University, 
still in D.C., working the job that I work now, and then being able to figure out my next plan in life, which is law school. Mm. Like, she's still behind Yes, we're partner. affirming law school. Today is all about the self-affirmations. <laughs> I'm literally for it. And shout so out without, to moms, for real. Shout out to her, because without her, I would not be how and who I am today. Mm. Like, as liberal as I am, as, like, open as I am, and, like, as much as I even travel the world, like, part of this is also for her. Because you know when I'm abroad, I'm FaceTiming her. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love your mom. She is so humorous. It's like, she is so funny. I just, I know she be telling so many jokes. And, you know, when I'm around you and your family, all of you guys are speaking Fulani. So I don't even know what y'all be saying, but I know it's funny, okay? <laughs> and, and you know, and like, that's just how she is. So it's like, open-hearted as she is and like the woman that she is today because then a lot of people also don't see her struggles because she makes sure that at the end of the day like business is handled Mm -hmm. and so when I have a woman like that in front of me that raised me it's like who else can I be besides that Mm -hmm. like it's only up yeah also besides my mom it's like I see uh, I remember learning about like so I was like oh I remember being like oh who was the first woman to run for president? And then I remember somebody being like Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And I was learning when I was younger. I was like, no, actually, Shirley Chisholm did. Okay, Shirley, Miss Shirley. Shirley Chisholm. And so, like, you think about women like that. You think about women that are still in office right now and look at, like, Maxine Waters. And it's like, we we can be those people. Mm -hmm. Like, at the end of the day, people, people that look like us, not even just people that look like us, also on the broadest scope, because we still have to break a lot of barriers just being women in this country. Yeah. So when you say being a woman in this country, and then you say people like this, or you take people like Stacey Abrams. I love her right now. I, I know you her, do. <laughs> I, I met her the other day, and mm-hmm. like just for her to get out of her car to come and greet me, I was like, wow, that's powerful. What was that like? That. I... I was actually, I was very surprised. And I was like, if I ever meet this lady again, if she needs help on some <laughs> communication plans, a strategy, right. legislative plans, right. because I honestly, I respected that. Because for her, it was like, I'm not above you. But at the end of the day, I'm, I feel you. We're on the same level. I respect you from person to person. And I love seeing that. Or even just like, I'm not even going to lie, just seeing like, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris mm-hmm. like this this election turn seeing them run for president I was like shout out to Hillary Clinton in in the 2016 elections because at the end of the day she did run and she was the most qualified nominee we've ever had in the history of America to be honest so to see her run and then now we see even more women running for president I'm here for it so, like, for me, a lot of times, the way I look at women empowerment, I look at women that influence me, I look at women that are, like, stepping out right now. So that can be women in politics. But that also, like, when we look at social media, we're seeing this huge, like, LGBT movement as well. We're seeing people step up and people speak out because at the end of the day, we need more voices for us as women. And then also one of the things I – one of the people I also – I loved her since college because I used to also work for her. Um, one of her firms was Angela Rye. Mm-hmm. See her get on TV, actually speak how she feels, 
but I also have knowledge and facts and statistics behind it. I, I love seeing that, as, especially as a person in college. I'm like, oh, wow. I remember one day meeting her and asking her about law school because I was so hesitant about it. And she was like, look, I've been knowing I wanted to do law since I was little. So mm-hmm. right after college, I went straight through law school. And just being able to see her and meet her and understand that, like, at the end of the day, she's a she's a real person. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I know you've always, always, always loved Angela Rye. I remember you used to intern um, for her company, right? Yeah, Impact Strategy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you loved it. And I was so happy that you had that opportunity because um, I know it's definitely going to be helpful in the long run. But I do want to backtrack a little bit. First, I want to say... Shout out to Shirley Chisholm because you know she okay. went to my high school. Okay, I don't know if you know that girl, but those facts out there. Okay, <laughs> high school right in this side. Shout out to us. Um, but you know it always gets so hefty when we talk about politics in whatever <laughs> facet. And so I just wanted, um, as you state your um, beliefs and your opinions and everything that is guided by who you are, to also just um, reconcile you know, uh, as someone, I I think it would be a disservice not to recognize you as someone who can talk about politics um, in a way that is grounded in studies um, as well, that is grounded in um, your learnings and your teachings, because this is your discipline um, in the same Mm -hmm. way that um, literature is mine and sociology is Sadia's and, you know, so forth. So as you were just listing, um, candidates and and you know there might be people who's listening that's like this girl don't know what she's talking about I understand what you're saying to be um in terms of that idea of representation and being able to see ourselves um not necessarily always agreeing in the same um uh facet in terms of everything someone else might stand for but in terms of just being able to see women contributing to society in uh in the forefront you know we're always told mm-hmm. that we have to be the supporters and we have to do um the trivial labor but here we look at at women um for the first time ever openly you know, showing not only the interest in politics, but taking a stand and joining the race. Um, and, and although that doesn't always lead to what we would always hope, um, I'd like you to talk just a little bit about how seeing that has shaped your interest um, in politics now more than ever before, you know, and grounded in your teachings and your understanding of this political climate, you know? Ooh. I think that seeing representation now for me is more than just, it will always be, so I guess let me take it back. When I was younger, I remember one of my coach telling me, he was like, at the end of the day, you will always have two strikes against you in America. And Mm. I was like, two strikes against me? What do you mean? (laughs) And he was like, one, because you're black. But then, two, because you are a woman. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about that now in terms of 2020, I'm like, we're still asking for equal pay. Yeah. We're still asking for us to even have the right to for our own health care options. 
we're still asking for the right to even have the right maternity leave. Mm-hmm. We're still even asking for the right to be able to go up in the actual corporate ladder. I remember having a reading a few weeks ago. Um, I, one of my favorite tip sheets is called Courts Obsession. And basically, it was talking about how the only time Fortune 500 companies really hire females as CEOs is when it's in one, it has a it has a trauma issue or a lack of diversity. Mm. Because they know that at the end of the day, the way that women lead and the way that men lead is two different things. But also, they only give us a chance when it's like, oh, okay, we need more women in office. So now we're about to just throw a woman in office. Mm. So I think for me, when it comes to representation now and politics and how that shaped me, I think it's it makes me very happy to see like even this new class of senators and representatives, we're starting to see more women, but we're also starting to see more people of color as well. Mm. You know, when so you I- mentioned the, um, the two strikes, I couldn't help but think that I often feel as though, you know, a lot of people say there's two strikes against us. And I've always felt like there was three, four, five, you know, like I've I mean, always, it is. <laughs> I've it always is. felt like they just keep piling up. I think a lot of it is also um, navigating that whole immigrant space, you know, it's, it's being young in these spaces um, is being able to be in a time and space where we can be on this podcast and we can talk freely you know I think that when we look at the the traditional um aspect of uh the state of women um the the state of of self-identifying proud black women um who are educated who are bold who are free enough to uh say what it is they believe and stand for it as well that space has been so marginal it's been so limited um to us and i think that part of what i hear you saying is the ways in which we do our part um in terms of our family our communities to make sure that you know we're going to school we're we're also making sure that we're in, what we're engaged with while we're at school is doing something for our communities back home but then we can also turn on the TVs or the radios go on the internet read something about women who are also taking us along with them of course cuz i remember one thing i i remember one thing i i love seeing in 2018 was like so this is why i say like a lot of times like yeah we do things but then it's also, we got to remember that it's so many other people looking and there's so many other people that like, when you, I guess it's kind of like one of those things when you become yourself and you allow yourself to be in that spotlight, you allow yourself to be that enlightened, other people come with you. But I remember also one of the things that I love seeing in 2018 when Saudi Arabia allowed women to drive. Yeah, there's, it's on, Um, have you watched it? I watched it a few months ago and I... I the documentary. Yeah, it's on HBO right now. Um, I'm not even sure what it's called. Do you know what it's called? I, I know what you're talking about. I need to watch it back because I literally seen it the other day, and I was like, "That's so crazy that in 2018, that women are weren't still allowed weren't allowed to drive." When for us here in America, at like 15, 16, you're like, "Oh, I'm about to go get my driver's license." <laughs> oh, well, I'm <laughs> look up some more stuff. Because now we're in this generation where we have constant news, we're, we're accessible to so many things, and it's like, you have all the resources to go check things out, so why not? Mm-hmm. Like, I agree. Why not? I you agree. Need to, 
You need to ask the question always on every single thing. Why is that? Or maybe the answer for econ, I remember my teacher telling me this as an economics major going through Howard. He was like, every econ question that you receive, the answer really, the right answer will always be it depends. Mm. You know, I'm actually, um, I, you know, I think I, I, while I'm reading, I always ask myself the, or pose the question of why. Um, but my answer isn't necessarily always why. I think that I can read something and pose another opinion, pose another thought, and of put course. that out into the world. Um, so I, I agree with you, thoughts? the whole critical thinking piece. I think it's necessary um, in, in life, period, especially in the things that we study, um, especially in the labor of our work that we, we do, both yeah, in the classrooms, at our jobs. And even then, like, I remember reading this article that was saying that, like, certain schools in certain states no longer even, you remember in science class where they used to be the actual, like, critical thinking question? Mm -hmm. Like, now you have, like, classes that are, like, you know, elementary and high school and middle school that are no longer having kids have to answer that question. Mm -hmm. And my thing about growing up, that was the hardest question. The critical thinking question was the hardest question. Girl, math was my hardest question. <laughs> so, so now you, so now that question no longer has to be asked. Mm-hmm. So now we have kids growing up in a society where, like, everything that media feeds them, they just take it for what it is. Mm-hmm. You're no longer questioning the credibility of this, mm-hmm. and that's scary. For you not to think on your own is very scary. Yeah, I think it's challenging, especially um, in the work that I do um, in school, you know. And that's across fields, because even with the work I do with our clients, yeah, you might be the client, but at the end of the day, if we don't push back on certain things that we believe, how are we really a resource to you? Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to always be right. Most definitely. I agree with you. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I I want to go on a little bit um, because okay. as I was putting this together, I was kind of thinking about the optimism that lives within us. I know we mm-hmm. we just said a whole mouthful. Um, <laughs> we went everywhere from, from just, oh my gosh, we went out the world, came back into the world. It's just, yeah, we went everywhere. Because who are we not to go out? Yeah, and I love it. I love it so much. Um, so I kind of want to focus on a little bit of hope, a little bit of optimism. Um, And and by that, I just mean, um, when I say the optimism that lives within us, um, or I'll say within some of us, okay? Um, (laughs) I I definitely mean um, the spirit of living, of existing in this world as who we are, unapologetically, but also Mm. with some sort of moral consciousness. And so when I was thinking of the idea of self-identity and and um, self-governing politics, I was thinking along the lines of self-abiding principles, you know, um, that foundation, that foundational piece of, of who we are, why it is that, you know, we get along and why it is 
um, that this is an established friendship um, that wants to see years, you know, that, okay. <laughs> that, that wants to, to go forward um, in relationships, you know, that we hold with other people, um, with our parents. You know, you talked about your mom earlier with our brothers, our sisters. Um, and even as we move forward and make new goals, which you also talked about constantly doing um, every single time that you've even received um, these milestones of achievement. So I wanted to ask you about um, these, I guess we can call them like pebbles of optimism, if you will, or, or whatever you like to call them, but what they are for you, um, because ultimately it, it pushes towards the manifestation that what we see in the world, the politics that we reckon in meetings and boarding uh, boardrooms, classrooms, you know, center stage in, 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 um, in the elections, even, you know, when we, mm -hmm. when we look at the presidency and, and all of that, how that is, um, grounded and influenced in, um, personal influence, you know, in, in the, 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 the section we talked about the micro, you know? Okay. So one special shout out, if you want a good read, to the autobiography of Isa Shakur, literally mm -hmm. love her, mm -hmm. love that book, love who she was, yeah, she stood for. I love, I I love her. I wanted the book to be more juicy, girl. <laughs> <laughs> literally love the fact that she brought up the Black Panther Party, yeah. and at the end of the day, how they how they are the ones that brought up free free food for children and how that became a government program and even to this day we're not going to talk about it but in 2020 now we're seeing like kids getting their food snatched back because they can afford the lunch something mm -hmm. crazy mind-blowing yeah still, black panther party for self-defense shout out to her yeah Best shout out to michelle obama because at the end of the day yes harvard law graduate <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Black excellence. Winston Princeton is a Harvard Law graduate. Mm -hmm. Literally, women that I love is women that, like, guess what? We are here. We are fearless. We are who we are. Mm -hmm. But special shout out to them, too. Yes. But on a very micro level. We should have them on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but on a very micro level, I would say, like, my guiding principles for me, like, especially growing up, like, which sometimes I, I have an issue with now as an adult because not everybody was raised the same way. It's just always that policy of, like, just honesty. And, like, just one of my biggest things is, like, giving back and looking out for others. Like, mm -hmm. I will give my last to someone before I just, like, take it. Like, the no, I know the way I spend money, like, on, like, going out to eat or, like, fun things. I'm also that person who, at the end of the day, like, I'm always trying to figure out, like, let me go do some community service. Let me go give money here. Let me do this, that, and the third. And not just my money, but also my time. Mm. So one of the things that's always been very dear to my heart is giving back, which in, like, 2017, we went to St. Louis. So shout out to Howard. Yes. I'll turn spring break. If you're listening to this, um, they're going to start their fundraising pretty soon. You can always give back to Alternative Spring Break at Howard because one of the things they do is they send students all over the country 
now they're sending students all over the world to basically give back a week of community service where we're either educating students, which is what me and Carmen did in St. Louis, or they're plotting plants, or they're doing a, a lot feeding homeless, feed, not even just homeless, just feeding people in general. So it's a lot of that. So that's part of who I am. But then honestly, at the end of the day, like, I'd rather you always be very honest with me, hurt my feelings in the moment, but at the end of the day, say what you need to say. <laughs> okay. I, you know how I am. You know my feelings be hurt because I'm a little sensitive, <laughs> but <laughs> at the end of the day, I, I really do appreciate that. Like, my grounding principles is I just believe to give as much as you receive. At the end of the day, like, I remember one of my favorite quotes, I'm going to butcher the quote, but <laughs> it was just like, community service is the rent that we live to, is the rent that we pay to live here. Mm-hmm. And with that quote in mind, that's literally how I live my life. You don't, I'm not doing community service to put it on my resume, to put it on the application, to make myself look good. Like, no, I do service because who am I not to do service? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I that's, that's really the question. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that everything you said was so potent. Um, and and knowing you, it definitely reflects who you are. Um, I I think that as we enter this this new year, this new decade, shout out to twenty twenty. Um, you know, I I wanna I want to really take time to reflect on the, on this last piece right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want you to kind of, you know, tell us a little bit about how do we go about, you know, in, in your opinion, defining ourselves for ourselves amongst ourselves, you know, in this new decade that will ultimately, you know, transcend towards, uh, who we are publicly, you know, who we are when we're in these spaces, you know, um, how do we go about being our free, full, complete self, um, identifying as who we are um, for ourselves so that who we are can be made into this world and be received in that, in that regard um, for, for this new year, for years to come. Okay, so on a, I'm going to go macro, then micro. Okay. So on a very macro level, I remember reading today that, like, we all are going to die one day. A okay. lot of us, it's going to be sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, when you, when you put that into perspective, you got to think of life like this. Go out there and basically make as many mistakes as you can, especially people, we're in our early 20s. Well, not everybody listening to this podcast, but still. (laughs) (laughs) We're in our early 20s. Like, it's this, I remember last year at my job, we had someone come in because we have knowledge meetings about every other Friday. And they basically was like, "In, in, in your career, in the very early part of your career, Make as many mistakes as you can so that way you can learn as much as you can. Mm. So when I put that into perspective for life, I always say, take that trip, eat that food, date that person, take that job, like literally take that apartment, move to a new city, 
do everything that scares you so much. Because at the end of the day, you do not grow when you're comfortable. You grow the most when you're very uncomfortable. Because at the end of the day, when you're uncomfortable, guess what? You wake up a little bit earlier. You try a little harder. When you have, when you know you cannot fail, that drive is something very different. Mm. But then when I come to the micro level of me, me being a woman, me being Muslim, me being African, I also have to say that at the end of the day, be who you are and be comfortable in knowing who you are, but also be comfortable in knowing that like not everybody will understand this, even your parents. But keep doing this for yourself. Because at the end of the day, I'm sorry, your parents, may they stay here as long as they do, but one day (laughs) they're going to pass away too. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you're still here. And you don't want to look back and you're like 35, 40 years old and you haven't been living for yourself. So Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times when I take that whole notion, I put that in perspective for my career. I put that in perspective for law school. I put that in perspective very much so right now at this age for marriage. Mm. And I say that because at the end of the day, you are young. You are something that everybody wants. But what you don't also want, I know personally for me, it's kind of like, I want my daughters one day to look at me and be like, yo, my mom traveled the world. My mom is still traveling the world. She has her degree. She has her career. But she also has, like, a man in her life that, like, truly understands that but adores that about her. So Mm. I also, for everybody on the macro and the micro level, because I have a love for traveling, travel the world. When you understand that this very American society, this capitalist society is such a very, it's, it's a very minute part of the world. You open your eyes, you open your perspective, you understand that there's so much more. You learn so much more about yourself. Like, I'm forever indebted to Barcelona and Costa Rica because without that, I would have never understood how much I want to, like, venture into human rights in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like at this point, like, especially being in your early 20s, like, I remember hearing the world is your oyster. I live by that. So if I wake up tomorrow and be like, I want to travel, guess what? I'm about to call you like, yo, <laughs> we out. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so happy um, that you said all of that um, and that you explained it in the ways that you have. I think, you know, initially someone might hear that and, and think of it very existentially. But what I've taken from what you just said was that, you know, it's the idea of making every moment that we're here, that we have worth it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that ultimately, you know, we, we have to be realistic and that there is a physical ending, you know, yeah. um, but that it's not OK to just go about the world, to go about our own um living not understanding that we have things to do while we're here Mm -hmm. 
So I'm so happy, so happy that you share that with us. Um, you know, before we talk a little bit about our prom giveaway, because we have to yes, I'm that, gonna plug it in. <laughs> I wanted to ask: Is there any last piece that you'd like to say to conclude um, everything that we've talked about in terms of you know self-identifying our self-image um, and self-affirmations? One thing I would say is, um, I would definitely say for women out there, if you're in the U.S. or if you're across the seas, because you know I'm going to pass it to my family across the seas, but <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say that, like, if you ever want to talk about college, you want to talk about how that goes, you can reach out to me and Carmen. If you want to talk about... Yes, and Sadia. And Sadia. If you want to talk about corporate life right now, you can reach out to me. That's you can reach all have you, a, girl. <laughs> and, and we, it's me, but it's also one thing I will say, thank God for Howard. You mm-hmm. leverage network. your network. Mm-hmm. Network, network, network. And once you have us in your network, even if that's via social media, you hit people up. Like, literally, never, ever be ashamed to be like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I got going on. I would love to partner with you. I would love to have you here. Or I would love to talk to you more about this. Because a lot of times what we don't even realize is you think all these people on social media that have X amount of followers, people aren't really contacting them just to talk to them. People are contacting them for things. But when you contact them just to talk to them, just to try to level up in your life, you can do that. And me and Carmen, we're always here as a resource and to be. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things I would say is, when you have resources in your life as far as people, use them, use them, use them. And it's not a bad thing, but use them as, as you can. Because at the end of the day, we all have so much to give. We've learned so much as all three of us are first generations. We've learned mm-hmm. so much along this process that now they're in grad school. They're getting their PhDs. They're getting their master's. So it's like one of these networks where we're like, we're open for you to contact us. Let us know if you have any questions. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Thank you, I. I know if Sadia was here right now, she would not let me leave without sharing some of my poetry. <laughs> I love you so much, Dee. Thank you for supporting me through and through. Last time I was here, I shared a poem while it was still in its progress phase. It's actually now about to be published in 2020 this year. You can hear that published version on my page at Dear Brother Malcolm on Instagram, as well as on SoundCloud for WRBH Radio, where I had a chance to share a body of my work. So I came here and I want to close this off sharing another poem in progress. This poem is a reflection on multiculturalism. This poem is tethered to the North Atlantic Sea. This poem is for Burbies, Georgetown, Essequibo Coast, Demerara, Linden, Buckstown. This poem is pumping a black breast. This poem is irrigation outdoors. This poem is a tongue that curses. Lamastad, Travador. 
Nina Pinta Santa Maria. This poem is sweet as green plantains. This poem is a side hip swaying a weeping baby. This poem is sing song. This poem is skin teeth. This poem is skinned knee. This poem is a sickening memory. This poem is oppression, is a language. This poem is uprising. This poem is forgotten.